So last week before the snow, I wasn't sure if we were going to have church on Wednesday. So I, um, I was looking at preparing what we were going to do on Wednesday night. And I saw that it was David Goliath. And I really started thinking about how I could tell this story in like a new way. Because literally, I realized that every single person in this room... I'm sure it could tell me something about the story of David and Goliath. Even if you just know that David was small and Goliath was big. Like literally everyone could tell me something about this story. But we hear all the time about like, oh, this is a real David versus Goliath matchup. Like if you watch sports at all, you hear about like this team that's the big underdog. And you're like, oh, it's David versus Goliath. Like literally our culture, our culture understands the reference of David and Goliath. And I thought about how weird it was that everyone understands that it's a cultural norm that everyone understands what David and Goliath matchup is, but yet so many, so many people don't understand who God is. Like, how do we have a culture full of people who, if I say this is a David versus Goliath matchup, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But that same culture has so many people who, whenever I talk about the gospel, don't understand what I'm talking about. And I started to realize that people view these stories that we're talking about in here as just that, as stories. And it really was this realization that I had at our conference. We were, I was listening to our, our speaker for week one. His name's Abraham, and his son's name's Isaac. But yeah, anyway. <clears throat> so I was listening to Abraham talk, and he was talking about apologetics. And he was talking about how he really has a passion for that and showing and teaching people that the, the Bible is not just a book, but it's a, his, it's a book about historical uh, events. And he says so many people view like Christianity and the Bible as like just some sort of fairy tale or some sort of like Aesop's fables or something like that, where it's just these like stories about, you know, they're just life lessons or something like that. <clears throat> and I think many people, Christians included, do this. They read this story and they view them as just. Stories or like fun fairy tales. And, you know, this is a really scary thought because if we hear these stories and we don't equate them to God's truth, then we've really missed the point of who God is and how he works in our lives. And if we like, if we want to claim the truth of grace and salvation of God, we have to acknowledge that the whole Bible is true. And if you remember back a long time ago, we did a series called Book It, and we looked at how we can prove that the Bible was 100% true. If you weren't here for that or you don't remember it, you can look it up on the podcast, listen to them all. It was great. I mean, I taught it, so how bad could it have been? But <clears throat> anyway, we talked about how if you believe that part of the Bible is true, you have to believe that all the Bible is true to believe part of it's true. Because if you want to sit here and say, oh, well, the story of Jonah and the whale is like too far-fetched to be real. Like a, a whale couldn't really eat a man and then he survived three days. Like that's too far-fetched. 
but I want to believe that Jesus rose again for my sins. It doesn't work like that. Because if you want to believe part of the Bible, you have to believe the whole Bible. Because if, if you find out that, oh, well, the story of Jonah and the whale is not actually true, how can I then know that the story of Jesus' resurrection is true? So you have to know that the whole Bible is true. And if we don't believe these stories actually happened, then we can't truly believe that the Bible is real. And so over the past few weeks as we've been looking at these stories, it's why I've been going beyond just telling you the story. Like, yes, we talked about the story. We read the story from the Bible. But we looked at the application of the story to our lives. And, you know, if you find yourself sitting here today able to recall the stories that we've talked about over the past few weeks, but not able to remember the spiritual application that they had for your life, then I think you really need to evaluate one of three things. One, either how you're focusing on the lessons. Like, are you just focusing on the fun story? Or are you focusing on the spiritual growth aspect of the story? The part of the story that is for you to take to grow spiritually. Or two, maybe you need to focus on how you take notes. Because, like, no one in here takes notes, really. Like, I know a couple of you are taking notes right now. But, like... For the most part, none of you take notes in here. And that's fine if you want to sit here and be like, I have a brilliant brain. I can remember everything. Like, okay. Like, that was me whenever I was a kid. I was always like, I don't need to take notes. I can remember everything. And I'll tell you right now, like, it seems weird to write down these notes because you're like, when am I ever going to go back and look at these? But I can tell you from different times in my life, I've come across notebooks and journals and things from whenever I was in middle school and high school. And I read some of the stuff in there. And it's, like, shocking to me. That God continues to reveal truths through stuff that I that I went through, that I learned about many years ago. And so, like, if you are, like, even if you just write down, like, Brian's back or, like, whatever you want on the notebook, like, whatever you want to write down, like, I just challenge you all to take notes. So maybe if you're, if you can't remember it, you need to, or the last thing, and I hope, I hope and pray that this is none of you guys in here. If all you can do is remember the stories and not remember the spiritual application, maybe you need to change your heart. Because maybe your heart is not here for the right reasons. Maybe your heart is just here to have fun, to hear some funny story, to hear Brian talk like a woman, uh, like I did a couple weeks ago. Um, And then to go home and be happy about this story that I heard. But no, like literally like I was saying to you guys a few minutes ago, if you are not coming here to meet with God, then don't come here. Like, I want you guys to be here, and I love having you guys here, and I want to help you grow spiritually, but if you are not here for the right reasons, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting everyone else in this room. And so, like, if your mentality when you step into this room to hear from God is not, I am here, if God is not here, I don't want to be here, if that is not your mentality, then maybe you don't need to be here. Because this is a place where we need to come together as a body of believers and we need, to, we need to work together to help each other to grow spiritually. There doesn't need to be discord. We don't need to be hateful to one another. We don't need to be mean to one another. We don't need to like sit on opposite sides of the room from each other. We need to be a cohesive group that works together to grow spiritually. So, I want you guys to all buckle in tonight. 
And I'm going to fly through the story of David and Goliath, and I want to take out some important pieces. There's three real things that I want you to take out of the story of David and Goliath. But first, let me give you a little bit of backstory, okay? So, before David, there was a king named Saul, and Saul was this great leader of God, and he did a lot of conquering, brought a, got, grew the kingdom of Israel in a great way, but Saul started to become evil. He started to not listen to God whenever he would conquer different places. He would, he would disobey God in the way that God told him to do that, and so God left him. If you read in the Bible, it actually says that God, God's presence left, um, it left Saul. Hey, uh, can someone get my backpack out of the kitchen, please? <clears throat> it says that Saul, that God, God's spirit left Saul, and an evilness came upon him. And so Samuel, who was Saul's scribe, he was sent by God out to find the next anointed king of, uh, thank you, of Israel. And he comes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has all these sons, right? And he walks up, and he sees Jesse's oldest son, who's this big, physical being, okay? And it says when, when they arrived, and Samuel saw Elam, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things of man, but he looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we see that ultimately Samuel gets down to it. He finds David, who didn't even get to be with the brothers to meet Samuel. They left him out with the sheep. And Samuel was like, none of these are the guy that God's called. Do, do you have any more sons? Jesse's like, oh yeah, just my youngest. He's out in the field with the sheep. He's like, bring him in. <laughs> Samuel realizes that this is the day David is the anointed. He is the one that God has chosen to lead the kingdom of Israel. At this time, they estimate that David was around 15 years old. Okay, so he was still pretty young. So we see that Samuel anoints David, and we know that this was kind of, it wasn't like a secret anointing, but it wasn't like a big ceremony. It was kind of like Samuel did this, and just the family kind of knew about it. But it was God making his mark that David was this anointed person. And actually, David goes on to serve Saul as an armor bearer. And it says in 1 Samuel 16, <coughs> it says in verse 14, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, Whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul, David would take his harp, play, and then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So we know that David and Saul knew each other, and they worked together, uh, that David kind of was a servant to Saul in his kingdom. But the weird thing is, this whole time David knows he's going to be the next king, but there is no pathway for David to become king, because if Saul dies, his son, Jonathan, is going to be the next king. So, even though David knows in the back of his mind, I'm anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, he has no idea how this is going to happen. 
And that's part of the first part of what this story is all about, is God unfolding a path for David to be the next king of Israel. And we'll get more into that later. But we come to the main part of our story here. <coughs> and the Israelites are in battle with the Philistines. And out of the Philistine camp comes Goliath. And here's what the Bible says about this giant that we call Goliath. Uh, a champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall, had a bronze helmet on his head, and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing about 5,000 shekels, which is about 125 pounds, just his, like, armor, okay? On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and an iron point that weighed about 600 shekels, which is about 15 pounds, so just the arrowhead on the end of his spear weighed 15 pounds, okay? And um, his shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down here to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the, uh, then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight one another. Okay, so <clears throat> we have Goliath, who's this massive being. He's wearing like the most decked out armor, all this stuff. And I mean, if you really think about it, nine foot is not like, like to the ceiling. Okay, nine foot's only like three more feet taller than me, which is big, okay? I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But if you've ever met, like, a really tall person, sometimes they're, like, really skinny. You know, like a rail, and they're, like, really tall and skinny. I imagine that Goliath was kind of, like, massive, okay? Like, he was big and wide and strong and nine feet tall. He's got all this armor, and he's just, like, an imposing person standing there, way taller than everyone else. We also know that Israelites just genetically, were particularly small people. So they were probably south of six foot. Okay, so there's over a three foot difference here. We have a formidable foe, and we have God's people. And we've literally seen time and time again, especially in this story time series we've been walking through, that God will deliver his people from the hands of formidable foes. That God will overcome any situation that his people get in to where they are outnumbered or they're in a bad situation. And yet, <clears throat> we see God's people here in this situation running from Goliath because they felt like they were in the face of certain death. And this goes on for 40 days. For 40 days, Goliath walks out, says, send someone to fight me, and then goes back. 40 days. Now, if that number sounds familiar... The Israelites, for their disobedience to God, spent 40 years wandering in the desert. I don't think that was an accident, but for 40 days, Goliath goes out, and he calls on all the Israelites, and no one fights them. They're all scared to death. <coughs> so David, at this time, is back home with his father, taking care of the sheep, and his father, Jesse, sends some, some rations, some wheat and stuff, some bread and stuff like that, to his brothers who were fighting in the Israelite army. And when David gets there, 
he hears Goliath make this call out to the Israelites, and here's what he hears in return from the Israelite camp in 1 Samuel 17, verse 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will, will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. And if you actually read on past there, and that seems like kind of a minor little piece of the story, but David goes around and he asks multiple people in the camp, <coughs> is it true that if, the, if a man kills Goliath, that the king will give him all this? And everyone's like, yes, the king will give you this. And we see this, and again, it feels like such a small portion of the story, but if you realize here in this moment that God is providing a path to the kingship of David, because if he marries the king's daughter, he then becomes an heir to the throne. He's not the heir at the time, but he becomes an heir to the throne. And so in this moment, God is providing a pathway for David to become king. And David goes on to share his resume. He talks about how when he was a shepherd, he killed a, a lion that came and tried to eat one of his sheep. Then he like grabbed it by the hair. And I'm like, David crazy, okay? Like, <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah. And then there was this one time this bear came out and tried to get him. And I killed that too. So Goliath's just no worse than a lion or a bear. And then we get to the meat of the story. We're going to read this in its entirety real quick. But we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 40. <coughs> it says, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked at David over and he saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will hand over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by a sword or a spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over him. He took a hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from its scabbard, and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. 
<clears throat> when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. The dead were strewn along the road. Uh, when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp, and David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. Okay, so a lot happened there, okay? We're going to walk through very quickly what all happened in this story. So the first thing is, David goes down to the stream and he takes five stones. Okay, why did he take five stones? And, and some of you may know, or some of you may have heard theories, but here's why I think he took five stones. If you read in 2 Samuel 21, it goes on to talk about that David had to fight and overcome four of Goliath's relatives, okay? Whether they were brothers or sons, it doesn't really, it's not super clear, but it knows that they were relatives of Goliath who were giants. So in total, if you count, there were five of these giants, okay? So in my mind, and I don't know, I don't know if David knew Goliath's family tree, okay? I don't know if he knew that there were five of these giants. He may have because they may have been legendary. I don't know. But I think that whether David did this intentionally or accidentally, this is intended to represent that our life is more than just one battle. Okay? Our life is more than just one battle and one moment of conquering a Goliath and then everything's easy from there on. David, as we should, following a life of God is a series of battles of those who are seeking to destroy the light of God. Literally, our life serving God is constantly coming up against people who are trying to defame and destroy the word of God. Our entire culture is predicated around despising Christianity. And so as a Christian in this world, you will face obstacles this this life is constantly a battle of trying to stop the enemy david knew he'd need more than the stone to delete to, to defeat goliath he knew that he needed more than just the stone to defeat goliath he needed stones to defeat future goliaths in his life and i imagine and i don't know like i don't know how david kind of operated <clears throat> but for me i would have taken those other four stones and I would have like put them on a counter or something to where I saw them all the time and been like, this is for, as a reminder, for the next time I go into battle that God can overcome. So first, I think this story shows us that our life is a, is a constant battle against the enemy, not just one battle. Everyone's always like, Oh, I, I have my Goliath in my life. And if this Goliath would just fall or this Goliath would go away, my life would be so much better. Your life is a series of Goliaths. So be prepared to handle that. Second, we see David's bold faith. And I think this is what most people pull out of the story, but I'm going to give you kind of a different perspective on it. Verse 47, David says, the battle belongs to the Lord. 
And I think what most people pull from this story is that David had this great faith in God to deliver him from Goliath. David's like, oh, there's no way I could defeat Goliath on my own. God needs to like intervene and give me some sort of mystical God ninja powers so that I can beat Goliath. But I really feel like this gives the wrong message because I look at this story, okay, and I see this story, and unlike basically every story we've looked at in this series, because every story we've looked at, like the walls of Jericho, okay, those people could not have knocked down the walls of Jericho they tried. Like, literally, God had to do that. Uh, the flood, Noah could not have made the flood. God had to do that. Um, Samson, Samson could not have had that strength. God gave him that strength. I look at this story, and God seems relatively hands-off in this situation. In this story, all we see is David versus Goliath. It doesn't say that David swung a stone and God transformed it into a dagger that pierced the armor. No. Literally what happens in this story is all David. Now, don't get me wrong. God was with him, okay? I'm not saying God was absent from the equation, but I'm saying David's faith in God was actually faith in who God had made him and the skills that God had given him. Because if you actually read this story, it talks about David moving quickly. And we know that David was young and he was small and he was probably quick. And Goliath was slow because he was big and wore all this heavy armor. And God used the speed, the speed, the speed and the accuracy that David had that he had learned to defeat Goliath. Now, <clears throat> we can easily see that this line between like trusting in who God made us to be and like, a, and like being a little too loving of ourselves and being like, oh, I'm so great. How this could like border on arrogance. And we see, we see David's brother get mad at him for a little bit of arrogance in verse 28. But I think this is simply David realizing that God had designed him and put him in place for this purpose. Like God had literally given David the skills and abilities to defeat Goliath. And I circle back to the point to where it says, the Lord does not see the things of man, but rather the heart. David knew that he had the skill set to defeat Goliath man to man. And he did it. So let me tell you right now. I know that our culture is all like big into calling everything a bully, okay? And I'm not saying that bullies don't exist. They've always existed. If you watch any old movie, bullies have always been a thing, okay? But I want you all to realize that if anyone questions anything about who you are, if maybe you sit around and question things about who you are, or who God's made you, or why he made you this way, or why you have this thing that you view as a negative thing. I want to tell you right now not to listen to the things, not to listen to and be defined by the things of man. 
God created each and every one of you with a heart designed to serve him. And it's up to you if you want to choose to get sucked into this world of focusing on the things of man or if you want to devote yourself and your heart to serving God. Because we could all sit around and we could have people at our school and in our lives. They sit around and tell us all the ways that we're not good enough. Like we could all do that. And we probably sit around all the time and tell ourselves about how we're all not good enough. But let me tell you right now, you are good enough because God designed you exactly how you are to serve him exactly how you are. You don't need to be someone better or someone different. You need to be who you are. And it's hard to see sometimes. It's hard to understand. Why did God make me this? I don't know why God made you that way. But that's part of your life's journey is to figure out how God is going to use that part of your life for his glory. So, one, we see that life is a constant set of battles. Two, we see that we need to have faith in God, not just to have faith in God, but faith in trusting God to make us into who we are called to be. And then finally, we get to the end where David defeats Goliath <clears throat> and he calls, he, you know, he says this whole thing about like, I'm not going to kill you with a sword and blah, blah, blah. And then he, he kills Goliath with a rock and then he goes and takes his sword and cuts off his head. Okay. And I love this. Saul calls for him and it says in verse 57, it's like, Oh, Saul's man went and got David and David shows up to King Saul and he's still holding the head. Like, okay, David was a bad, bad man. Okay, he's just like toting around the camp with Goliath's head, just like carrying it like this. Like, hey guys, got Goliath's head. Pretty cool trophy, right? Like, David is a crazy guy, okay? But the importance of all this was to give someone who had been anointed as the next king of Israel a path to kingship, which was marrying Saul's daughter. And that was the whole reason Saul was calling him, was to learn more about him because he was about to be a part of Saul's family and an heir to the throne. God opened up a path in this situation in a time where you would think, how in the world is the story about David and Goliath, about David finding a way to be the king Like this is a story about faith in God and trusting God. Yes, it is. But it's also a a story about God's provision. About how God has a plan for your life. And he will unfold that plan in front of you if you allow him to work through you. Guys, we look at this plan that God has for us. Each of us has one. And God is willing to roll it out, to unfold it in front of us so that we can walk down this path and serve him. But it takes two things from us. It takes faith in God. And it takes faith in yourself. And I'm not sitting here telling you guys that you need to become egomaniacs and super like arrogant and be like, I am the greatest thing God has ever created. Okay, like that's not exactly what I'm going for here. But we live in a culture where people are so hard on themselves. People can have this great faith in God, 
But people have a harder time having faith in their own self. And I want to ask you something. Like legitimately, I think we sit around all the time and we focus on all these things that are like wrong with us. Or like there's always this like I've always heard someone say that every single person can find one thing that they would like to change about themselves. Whether it's a physical appearance or a personality or something. Like everyone has something they want to change about themselves. When was the last time that you sat down and thanked God for making you who you are? I mean, legitimately. Like this is the God who created you out of nothing. He made you, he designed you to be who you are. And when was the last time you thanked him for that? Thanked him for the gifts, the abilities, the things that you have. We focus so much on the negative. We, had, we don't have faith in ourselves. But let me tell you right now, each and every one of you in here should have a great amount of faith in yourself. Because God has that kind of faith in you. Because he designed you to serve his purposes. So we look at this story of David and Goliath. This fun story that we like to talk about all the time about how David trusted God and had this amazing faith in God. The story is so much more than that. The story is really about David allowing God's plan to unfold in front of him by having faith not only in God, but having faith in himself. And then it's also a reminder to us that just because we defeat one Goliath in our life, that doesn't mean that everything's just going to like spill out and be like all unicorns and rainbows after that. That our life is a sequence of battles against Goliaths. The, the only way that we can overcome is to lean into trusting in God and trusting in ourselves. And if we're unable to do that, then these Goliaths are just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Guys, I want you to know, and I get, I get that it is hard sometimes to trust in God, feel like God's not there. I feel like, I, I, I also get it. I feel like sometimes it's hard to have faith in yourself because you feel like you can't do it. Guys, let me, just, let me just encourage you to trust God, to trust his plan, to lean into who he made you to be. And then you will truly see God's plan unfold for your life. Let me pray for you guys, and then we will get out of here only a few minutes late. God, I thank you for who you made each of us to be. God, I think we do, not, we do not focus on that enough. We do not appreciate enough who you made us to be. And I pray that you would just give us an ability to have faith, not only in you, God, but faith in ourselves. To trust in the person that you made us to be. God, we, we love you. But God, we fail you so often. And I pray that you would just convict our hearts 
to be people who serve your kingdom and serve you with everything that we have. God, I pray that you would help these students as they go from here to live their lives with boldness, to conquer the Goliaths that they have in their life, to overcome them, to serve your kingdom for your glory, God. God, I pray that you would just help this youth group to refocus its mentality on on being spiritually driven by you, God. I pray that you would just infect us with a passion to, to love and to live you. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.